morning, Life Church. Thank you for inviting us into your living room to worship with you and open the Word of God together. My name is Matt Perez. Um, I not only have the privilege of calling Life Church my home, I, I also have the joy of being on staff as one of the pastors and one of the elders here at Life Church, and it's an honor and a privilege to always open and come under the Word of God. This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, and I want to encourage you, whether you have a Bible or a phone or a tablet, to go ahead and get set there. I'm going to be in the ESV this morning. We want to encourage you to follow along in whatever version that you have as we take some time this morning to come under God's Word. You know, I think at the core of every one of us is the difficulty of coming under authority. And, and maybe it's appropriate to start there with this being Mother's Day, because moms, you could probably talk deeper into this than I probably could. And maybe you've got a child who's in the terrible two stage, or a toddler that's just being a little bit defiant, or maybe you're in that preteen stage, or maybe you're a mother of adult children can remember the, the glorious teenage years where your children maybe kind of pushed a little bit, or maybe a lot of it, against that authority. Even if you're not a parent, you can remember growing up, or perhaps you are right now growing up, and can talk into the struggles that you may have had or are having with trying to assert your own authority and struggles you may have coming under the authority at times of your parents. I think at the core of us, we struggle with authority. We, there is strife in parent-child relationships. There is strife in teacher-student relationships. There is strife in employer and employee relationships. And there can be strife in government and citizen relationships. And when I talk about strife, I don't always mean outward defiance. That, that at times can be the way it comes out. Sometimes it could be an internal brooding or frustration over just the fact that somebody somehow has authority over you. And we struggle with that. In Matthew chapter 21, when Jesus has entered Jerusalem, the reality is many people were struggling with the concept of authority. It speaks as much to them as it does to us today. Before we dive into Matthew chapter 22, let's talk about the context in which we're going to find this parable. Remember, in Matthew 21, it opens with Jesus coming into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday as we would call it. And he comes riding in to show his authority over Jerusalem with the triumphal entry. He then goes into the temple and, and cleanses it, Matthew puts in the next part of the narrative, to show us his authority over worship. And from there, Matthew inserts an account of him cursing a barren fig tree to show us his authority and right to judge. Now, all of this begins to create a little bit of frustration, a little bit of turmoil within the confines of the religious leaders of Jerusalem. They don't like the fact that somebody is exerting authority, and they in fact confront him in Matthew 21. Where do you have the authority to pretend like you have authority to say these things and do these things? What gives you the right? Jesus responds with three parables that we've looked at over the last three weeks, with this being the third one. He first tells a parable of a, a man who owns a, a vineyard and, and sends his two sons out to work. And he says to his sons, go out and work. And the first son says, I will go and doesn't. And the second son says, I will not go, and does. And we saw that authority isn't just in what we say, but coming under the authority of God is, is not just lip service, but it's the fruit that we produce and the obedience that we portray. From there, we saw last week the parable of a vineyard owner who rents it out or, or hires it out to some servants to tend and to care for. 
And we see the servants reject the authority of the vineyard owner. We see the patience that we see of God displays in the rejection of those individuals by trying to draw them or continue to draw them toward him. And when that authority is rejected, as we're going to see in this third parable, we see the consequences and the fruit of that action. In fact, at the end of the parable we saw last week through Pastor James, we saw a sentence, a line that Jesus uses in Matthew 21, 43, that really sets up this parable in Matthew 22. He says, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing fruits. So what happens when this authority is rejected? We're going to see that in this parable in Matthew chapter 22. And as we do so, as we see this concept of 2143 played out, what we're going to see is this, that God's invitation to his kingdom is accepted by some and rejected by others. And both will be opportunities for God to display his right and majestic response in his authority. Let's look at Matthew 22 together. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fatted calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. And went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning, we thank you for the gift of you revealing yourself through your word. And we pray this morning that as we humbly open your word, that our hearts, our heads, our hands and feet would come under the authority of Scripture. Lord, that we would let your word speak, and that, Lord, at the end of our time together, we would not celebrate a message or a good message, but, Lord, we would celebrate who you are. We would celebrate your call to move us into more radical obedience to you. And, Lord, as we have seen through these three parables, we pray that we would not be men and women who give lip service but men and women who produce fruit that is honoring to your authority and your kingdom. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. I want to look at four things this morning. I want to look at God's rejected authority. I want to look at God's grace. I want to look at God's righteousness. 
And I want to look at God's call. Let's look at this first one, God's rejected authority. Again, let's think about the audience that he's talking to. In Matthew 21, verse 23, and Matthew 21, verse 45, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders who are questioning his authority. And he tells them a parable that's about the kingdom of heaven. It's the end of the last parable, as we said, that he begins to say that the kingdom of heaven will be taken away from you and given to a people producing fruit. This parable now illustrates and plays off of that comment. Authority has been rejected. They want nothing to do with obedience to God, nothing to do with obedience to the king. They don't want to produce the fruit that is honoring to him. How will this impact the kingdom of heaven? Jesus tells a parable, and the setting is a wedding feast. There's a king who is throwing a wedding feast for his son, and this would be an elaborate celebration. In this land, the greatest person imaginable, the king, is about to throw the greatest feast imaginable, a wedding party for his son, and to receive an invitation would be the greatest honor imaginable. This is the ultimate celebration. And in verse 3, he sends out his servants to say, the preparations have been made. The time has come. The guests have been invited. They know that they have been invited. They're expected to attend. In fact, probably getting an invitation would be a bragging point to your friends and to your family. You know, John, I'd like to help you move your couch tomorrow, but I just can't. I'm, I'm going to this wedding feast. Oh, you didn't get an invite? That's too bad. It's going to be a, a great celebration. In fact, sometimes we have those big events that are coming up that we find opportunities to weave them into conversation when nobody's even thinking about them. Oh boy, tomorrow's going to be a long day. Oh really? What's going on? Oh, I've got this wedding I'm going to. And we'll begin to brag. This would be a great honor. They've RSVP'd, as we would say today. And the feast is ready, and they haven't forgotten about it. They simply refuse to come. And the refusal to come as they're hearing this parable is seen as an outright rejection to the authority of that king. The hearers understand this. The hearers grasp this. No one would dare reject this invitation. It would be an insult to the king. And how does the king respond? Well, much like the parable last week or the parable of the vineyards, he is patient. He sends his servants back out to remind them the choice food is ready. Come. But they refuse. Verse 5. It says they paid no attention. It could almost literally be translated, they didn't care. They simply didn't care. Life took precedence over the loyalty of the king. They went about their business. They went back to farming. Some, like last week, even went so far as to shame, humiliate, beat and injure the servants as an insult to the king. And how does the king respond to this open rejection? With punishment in verse 7. The rejected authority of the king is met with punishment. Now, let's understand for a moment the context. I've gotten wedding invitations before that I have turned down. Perhaps you have too either because of a conflict or distance to travel or, or maybe even had two weddings on the same day. I've seen that happen before to people. Or, or maybe you just for some reason didn't feel like going. 
But nobody came by your house to torch it or set the city on fire. So it seems maybe a little harsh, a little odd to us. But we need to remember the context of the original hearers. Last week, when these original hearers heard the context of a vineyard, it spoke to them right away. Because since Isaiah 5 and other passages that that they had talked about and celebrated, they, they knew this imagery that they were God's vineyard, God's choice vineyard, God's chosen people. So for Jesus to tell us a parable or tell his original hearers a parable about a vineyard very much spoke to them because it was language they grasped. Just like they would have quickly grasped the setting of a vineyard, they would quickly grasp the setting of a wedding invitation. Because not only talk about them being God's choice people and God's planted vineyard, they were looking forward and anticipating the time when the Messiah would come to celebrate in this elaborate feast that would sometimes be described as a wedding feast. So when Jesus starts talking about this parable, their minds right away, they understand he's talking about the end times, the judgment times, as we would say. This is not some random setting. And so for us, we may be thinking, it's just a wedding invitation. What's the big deal? This spoke deeply to the original hearers. It was a common theme. The wedding feast represented God's promised blessing to Israel. Luke 13 talks about it. Matthew talked about it earlier in Matthew 8. John will even talk about it in Revelation chapter 19. Israel would often talk of the coming of the Messiah, which would bring with it a banquet for his people. So in this parable, Jesus is using imagery that they very much would understand to say the Messiah is here. The banquet is ready, but you've rejected the authority of God. You have rejected your king. You are rejecting his son. What will happen? And the parable is very clear. Rejection of the authority of the king will be punished. But in the midst of this rejected authority, we see God's absolutely amazing grace. Look at verses 8 through 10. He said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Jesus in the parable tells them that they have rejected God's call to come and they will be punished, but the wedding feast is going on. It's still going to happen. Israel, you've rejected your king, but don't think for a moment the king's plans will not go forward. New guests will be welcomed in, and we see his grace. Those who were invited were not worthy, we're told in this section. We call them, but they're not worthy to come and enjoy the celebration. So what does the king do? Go. Go out into the roadways. Go out into the outskirts of the community. Go and find those who are desiring to come in, who you want to bring in, go, welcome them in. Welcome in those who are both good and bad. Welcome in people who are excited to come in, who have nothing to offer in return. And we're told that the servants go out in verse 10 and invite in both those who are good and bad, or those who are good and, your translation might even say evil, to fill the hall. Jesus says, go wherever you can and invite them in. And people that the Jewish leaders would call good, invite them in. People the Jewish leaders would call bad, in my mind goes back to the first parable in this section, in Matthew 21, 31, where he talks about the prostitutes and the tax collectors, those who are maybe on the outskirts, who are deemed unworthy, who the religious establishment wants nothing to do with, who looks down on them, 
who thinks their evil or their badness or their sinfulness simply is not welcomed here. And the master says, bring them in too. We get a small glimpse, I think, of the end of Matthew in this parable. At the end of Matthew in chapter 28, Jesus has died, he's resurrected, he's walked with the disciples for 40 days, and before he ascends to heaven, he gives a command in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, one that many of us would maybe call the Great Commission. His authority in heaven has been given to him. Go, therefore, almost just like here in verse 9, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey, and I will be with you to the end of the age. Go. And he doesn't mean, well, go over there and share about the gospel, or go overseas and share about the gospel, or go over six states and share about the gospel. Those are good things, but what he's talking about actually is the the verb carries with it the, the, the understanding of as you are going. Not when you get to a destination, share, but as you are going. As in, as you are going about your day as you are going make disciples make followers of jesus christ of all nations of good and bad as he would say here in matthew 22 as we are going we need to stop going only to people who look like us talk like us have the same skin tone as us, have the same zip code as us, have the same socioeconomic background as us. We as a church, and I'm talking big church as well as us, need to stop limiting the scope of the going that God calls us to. Go into the nations, go into the highways, the roads, and gather bring in, invite in to fellowship with the king. And I, I think this is important, especially during this season, for us to be thinking about. Because we have, through this time, found ourselves in a season with heightened opportunities to go and invite in. Even to go and invite in people who would maybe feel very nervous to walk through our church doors for the first time, but may not feel nervous to walk into your living room or kitchen table to watch a service with you. We have these unique opportunities at our, at our fingertips right now to invite in. We have these unique opportunities. As I would guess new relationships have been forged during this time. I, don't, I, I could speak for myself and my wife that we found ourselves as we've been had to slow down like everyone else more in our community than we normally are, and that's allowed us to build more relationships and deeper relationships than we've had with some of our neighbors through this time, and we want to take those opportunities to speak into their lives, to share the gospel, to build on those friendships. And I would guess some of you who are listening today have had some of those similar experiences. We find ourselves in a time where a unique time where we're able to capitalize on this season of slowing down to invite in to the kingdom people we maybe normally wouldn't be connecting with or people God has now placed in our lives that we just have maybe more a heightened awareness and our eyes are need to be open not just to those who maybe are struggling during this time economically and there are many but mentally, 
emotionally and spiritually. As you're going about your day in your neighborhood, in your workplace, maybe even to the new relationships that are developing out of this season, go and invite in to see more of God, those who may not look like us or be the guests we would normally first grab to say, come check this out. Let this wedding invitation challenge and stretch the parameters of where our eyes are looking with the gospel. And as we do this, I want us to see two things here. First, God's sovereign plan will take effect. As we're going about and inviting in, some will reject, others will not. And God's kingdom plan will go forward and one day we will celebrate with him. As John talks about in Revelation 19, 6-9, the marriage supper of the Lamb. The other thing I want us to see through this is the depth and the width of God's grace. What do I mean by that? Let's think about the width of God's grace. The servants in verse 10 are called to go and gather those the religious establishment would have deemed in that day unworthy of God, both good and bad people. Those that the religious establishment would have rejected. And we see the width of God's grace Brothers and sisters, he is more than the God of America. He is more than the God of those in your social and economic background. He is more than the God of your skin tone. See the width of the grace of God to those he invites in out of what John would tell us in Revelation, every tongue, tribe, and nation. We also need to see the depths of God's grace. Jesus tells us there is no one that is outside the scope of this invitation. Go invite in the good and the bad. He invites into, the, in, into his feast those whom this parable would call bad. Those whom the religious leaders would never extend the love of God to. Those whom the religious circles would look down their nose at. God says, listen, there is nothing that my grace cannot cover. I don't just cover the socially acceptable sins that everybody kind of turns a blind eye to or winks at and says, oh, it's okay, God still loves you. He says, I come and I can cover the skeletons that are deep in the back of your closet. You know, they hide there like the clothes maybe you wore during high school, you know, the 80s garb you may still hold on to or the 90s garb or your, your old high school yearbook that maybe you've hidden from your kids because you don't want them to see the hair flip that you had or the, the sweet mullet that you were rocking, right? You just kind of hide it and you're kind of embarrassed by it. You don't want to talk about it, so it just hides in the back there. The reality is in, in our lives, we have some of those moments that we have pushed to the back of our closet that we don't want people to know about or think about or talk about because it's, to go there is shameful. To go there is embarrassing or humiliating. And here's what I want you to do for just a moment. I want you to open the closet and I want you to walk to the back where those skeletons lie. And I want you to see the reality that Christ is there. And his blood covers that. Yes, even that. His grace is sufficient. The depths of his grace know no ends. And so if you're listening today and you think, look, you don't know what I've done, you don't know where I've been, you don't know what I'm doing, 
What I'm doing or have done is beyond the scope of God's love, beyond the scope of his grace, beyond what the, the, the son Jesus Christ can cleanse. The beauty is in this parable. The father of the king is ready and willing and able to welcome you in. And may this parable also give us hope in that if you, are, you have been praying persistently for that loved one or that friend of yours that just isn't, it's just not, it's not sinking in. They just, they're just so far away. They're, they've maybe wandered so prodigally far away and you've wept for them and prayed for them and persistently prayed for them. May this parable give you hope and that God's grace is sufficient to draw them back in. And I would encourage you and plead you to continue to go before the Father, praying for them and looking for opportunities to reach out and invite them in. Take refuge and celebrate that no one is beyond the scope of God's ability to cleanse. Our God truly is mighty to save. In the depths of his grace and loving kindness know no bounds as Jesus stretches out his arms at the cross and sheds his blood. For those who our culture would call good as well as those our culture would call bad. And for those our culture would say looks like us as well as those who don't. God's invitation to his kingdom will be accepted by some and rejected by others, and both will be opportunities for God to display his majestic and right response. And, and it would be great if the parable ended here. But we have this kind of scene that is kind of like the, the, the Marvel superhero, the Avengers, like, hey, the credits are rolling, and we got this like 30-second blurb at the end. There we go, oh, wow, they put that in. And here we have like, hey, the credits should be rolling. Let's call it good. Instead, we get this kind of after scene. We see God's righteousness. It would seem everything is tied up. The guests are there. The celebration goes on. But we have this odd guest in the midst of the celebration that's about to begin. Someone has come in, and they're not dressed in wedding attire. When the king came in, he looked at the guests and saw there was a man who had no wedding garments. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding garments? And he was speechless. This is not the case of that man not having proper clothes to enter into the wedding. Again, cultural context, if that individual didn't have the proper clothes or didn't have you know, good clothes or nice clothes to walk in to honor the king, it was the responsibility of the king to provide those garments for him. So this man is really not without excuse. He's without an excuse. He really doesn't have an excuse to say, hey, um, I, I just don't own any. They would have been provided. But he has rejected them. And this is insulting to the king. This would be like me showing up at the funeral of one of your loved ones, and I come strolling in in my Nike sandals and my sport shorts and my tank top that says sun's out, guns out. I mean, it's, it's sweet for the beach. It embarrasses my teenage daughters. It's why I wear it. It's good for grilling out in the backyard, but to walk into the funeral of a loved one would be quite insulting. For me to simply say, hey, I'm here, aren't I, would be doubly insulting. It wouldn't be the proper respect or attire that I would show to show my, my love for your family. And so this man comes walking in an insulting way and he says, friend, what are you doing here in those clothes? Let's think very briefly about this word friend because Jesus uses it three times in the Gospel of Matthew and each time it's to show us very unfriendly behavior. The first time he uses it is in Matthew chapter 20 in the parable of the gracious landowner and Jesus tells a parable of a, a landowner who hires out some workers at the beginning of the day and, and promises them wages and as the day goes on he keeps going out and bringing in more workers and and by the end of the day, he has a whole host of workers. Some have worked all day, some part day, some even like the last hour, and that's it. And he has the audacity to pay them all the same. And the people who are first 
uh, hired are angry, and they come and confront the landowner. And the landowner uses in the parable, Jesus says, friend, in Matthew 21, 20, Matthew 20, 13, friend, he says, friend, it's my money to graciously give as I want. You're very acting, very unfriendly. He uses it again here, friend, what are you doing here dressed like this? The third time that Matthew shows us Jesus using this word is in Matthew 26, 50, when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane praying. And Judas Iscariot comes strolling in with Roman soldiers to have Jesus arrested. And he kisses him on the cheek and calls Jesus rabbi. And in Matthew 26, Jesus responds, friend, do what you've come for. When Jesus uses the word friend in the Gospel of Matthew, it's to show the actions of one who is unfriendly. And I think we need to see this reality in this parable, that being invited into God's presence to be welcomed as friend is on his terms, not ours. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4 and look at Cain trying to come before God in his own effort, in his own ability. It's almost as if you can say even back then, friend, you come to me on my terms, not yours. Friend, what are you doing here looking like this? How did you get in here? And the man says nothing and he's, talk, he's tossed out. Brothers and sisters, God's grace is sufficient to cover the depths of our sin, the skeletons in our closet, but don't think for a moment you can walk into the kingdom of God on your own terms. Don't think you can walk up showing up however you please in your tank top and shorts simply saying, hey, you should be happy I'm here. Don't think you can come walking in clothed in your own self-righteousness, in your own works, in your own efforts, and the king simply say, welcome. Isaiah tells us our works are like filthy rags. Paul tells us in Romans our wages, what we earn for our, our sin, for our works is death. We don't walk into God's kingdom on our own terms wearing our filthy rags. Yeah, God is a God of love. And many think this loving God wouldn't judge. He wouldn't condemn. He wouldn't be unaccepting. He wouldn't punish. And I will lovingly but firmly say, man, read your Bible. We see here in this parable and all throughout Scripture that this God who is perfect love is also a God who is perfect righteousness and perfect justice, perfect judgment, perfect grace. And he will punish sin. He will reject those who reject his son. But we find beauty in Isaiah 61.10. In Isaiah 61.10, it says, Rejoice in the Lord, for he clothes me with garments of salvation. He wraps me in robes of righteousness. We come into the banquet not wrapped in our own clothing of self-effort. We only come in clothed in the right standing of Jesus Christ, who lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father, shed his blood at the cross for our sins, and said, credit their sin to my account and clothe them in my righteousness so they can come in. See God's rejected authority, we see his grace, we see his righteousness, and we see this ending, this call in verse 14. Many are called, few are chosen. And this is an odd statement, but I think it's one that really sums up, closes up this entire section of flow that began when we looked two weeks ago at this first parable and they began to question his authority. 
Many are going to hear the words of God, but not all who hear will respond. Many are called, and this word call runs throughout the whole parable. Verse 3, call those who are invited. Verse 4 and 8, they call the called, they invite in. Verse 9, call or invite in new guests. And here, verse 14, many are called. And in each of these five cases, all of these come from the same kind of root family word of call. And Jesus gives us a warning here. Those who hear God's call and know of his grace must not think that the call is the same as the response. Many hear the call, few are chosen. Now this would have floored the original here. I'm Jewish by birth. Of course I'm the called. Even today we struggle with that. I've been born into a Christian family. I've been going to church since I was a little kid with my mom and my grandma. Watched my grandma sing in the choir. Watched my grandpa take the offering. Of course I'm a Christian. Of course I'm in the called. This gospel invitation goes far and wide, but not all will have an obedient response. Being chosen, we are shown, is not based on your racial origin or your parental background or your upbringing. Instead, it will be based on the response to God's summons. My friends, there's a difference between hearing the call and responding to the call. And this morning, if you're hearing this and you have never responded, I would implore you, as Paul would to the Corinthians, be reconciled to God. Let Christ wrap you in his righteousness. And if you're not sure what that looks like, I would encourage you to talk to the people who are in your, your uh, living room right now with you or your friends who you've been talking to maybe over the past couple of weeks or a parent or a grandparent or, man, call the church. Reach out to us. We would love to talk to you about what it looks like to be reconciled to God. Don't just hear the call. Respond to the call. As we come out of this text and these three parables, I want us to think about three things as we kind of land this plane and, and wrap up our time together. First, let us see this morning that to reject the king is no trivial matter. This God of love is also the God of perfect judgment, and he will judge rightly. But in this, he also provides grace. And as I just said, I would implore you, be reconciled to God. And if you do find yourself reconciled to God, Praise and celebrate that this morning. Second, I want us to be reminded of the width of the call to come to Christ, of the width of His grace. As I've said earlier, and I'm going to say it again, the call for us to bring into, invite into His kingdom needs to push into parameters that make us feel uncomfortable. It needs to push into parameters of those people who are made in the image of God that, as I've said earlier, don't look like us, sound like us, talk like us, think like us. His grace is sufficient. You need to ask yourself what that looks like in your current situation as God pushes you into, I hope, some uncomfortable situations for his kingdom. Finally, I want us to celebrate as we look to push into those areas to share God's word, to be his hands and feet. Let us always be reminded that there is only one door into God's kingdom, but it's an open door. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says he is the door into the sheep and he is the only way. In John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. There is only one door into his kingdom, and it's through Christ. 
that door is an open door to welcome in those, as we see in this parable, who culture would call both good and bad. I share this because as you are going and looking to push into these areas, brothers and sisters, don't for a moment water down the truth of the gospel. Don't for a moment cheapen it and let people think that they can be clothed in their own self-righteous deeds, clothed in their effort, and God will simply accept them. You're not sharing the gospel. When you reach out, share with them boldly, lovingly, unashamedly the truth of salvation found in Jesus Christ. To convince someone they can come into the wedding without the righteousness of Christ simply is not the gospel. In this parable, we see the reality that the rejection of the authority of God will be punished. But praise God, he provides an avenue to be reconciled to him and through him in Jesus Christ. And we praise God for his grace. This parable shows us that we can't come to Christ, we can't come to the Father, to the King, on our own terms, but only when we're clothed in his righteousness. We don't make the terms of peace between us and God. But this morning, we celebrate and rejoice that God has made a way for peace in him and through him and by him in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather this morning to celebrate and rejoice in who you are. Lord, may we be gripped right now in our living rooms with the reality Lord, that you went out into the highways to call good and bad into your kingdom, and Lord, we are not the good. May we be gripped, and may we celebrate your gracious and loving drawing us into your kingdom through the finished work of your Son. May we celebrate that. May we be in awe of that. And Lord, may we not be content that I have my invitation, that I have my standing in the wedding feast and simply turn a blind eye to your creation, to those who are made in the image of day, in the image of God, who you are still calling, drawing to you. Lord, I pray that when this time is over, I pray that you would stir in myself in those hearing and in our church a level of uncomfortableness in the way you want us to push out with the gospel in our community. Lord, I pray that you would stir in us a, an uneasiness, but also a heart that knows it is right to continue pushing out with the gospel message into areas that you very much want to see your kingdom glorified in. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son who rips off our filthy rags, wraps us in robes of his righteousness, and welcomes us into your kingdom. May we never for a moment forget that our friendship, our reconciliation with you is 100% based on your gracious, loving, merciful response at the cross. 
pray this in your son's name.